You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute. This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. Your guest host for GI Insights is Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. Resistance to proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs, is not at all uncommon among patients with gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD. What tests should be performed for patients with refractory GERD, and what therapeutic strategies can physicians use to manage these patients? Joining us to discuss when PPIs fail, evaluating and managing patients with GERD, is Dr. Brian Lacey, Associate Professor of Medicine at Dartmouth Medical School and Director of the GI Motility Laboratory at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Lacey. Great. Thank you so much for asking me to participate. We are very glad to have you. Let's start with a basic question. How should physicians initially approach evaluating a patient with suspected GERD? I think that's a great question. I think to even set the stage a little bit better, I think it's important to understand how prevalent this disorder is. And we talk about a weekly prevalence of acid reflux disease of about 10 to 20 percent. So that means, you know, about 50 to 60 million adult Americans have reflux each week. Mm. And it's a huge impact to patients, as you well know. It decreases patients' quality of life. And we spend about a billion dollars a month treating acid reflux symptoms in the United States. So this is a pretty important medical disorder for all of us in the medical field. I think the first step is asking patients a good history. Hopefully we're all taught that in medical school. The problem is asking patients about reflux symptoms is not always a guarantee of success, meaning that when we ask about classic reflux symptoms of either heartburn or regurgitation, the sensitivity and specificity of those two symptoms is only about anywhere from about 30 to 75%. Hmm. So the classic symptoms of heartburn really aren't great predictors of somebody even having acid reflux disease, and they're not good predictors at all of people having esophagitis, that injury to the esophagus. So we use those questions, but they're not great questions. You have to, I imagine, look for some alarm symptoms to guide further evaluation? We do. So if somebody comes into the office and we think they have fairly classic heartburn, including heartburn and regurgitation, and regurgitation, as we all know, is that effortless movement of liquids or solids up into the mouth and throat, and they don't have the warning signs you're thinking about. So warning signs that make me nervous are patients who have difficulty swallowing either liquids or solids, dysphagia, patients with painful swallowing, odynophagia, those who are losing weight unintentionally, and those with nausea and vomiting. Those patients really warrant an expedited evaluation, which should either include an upper endoscopy or a barium swallow as quickly as possible. And for others who don't have that, is it reasonable to do a diagnostic slash therapeutic trial with a PPI or some other agent? Absolutely. So for a younger person, and and that means as I get older, under the age of 50, (laughs) if you have reasonable heartburn symptoms and you don't have warning signs, I think an empiric medical trial with a proton pump inhibitor is very reasonable. They're safe. They're effective at treating acid reflux. And we can come back to the PPI non-responder. And if somebody gets better, great. That's all you need to do. They don't need an endoscopy. They don't need any diagnostic study. You've done an empiric approach and you've had a great success. Very good. And then for those who might not respond, how would we define that? How long should they be on the PPI? What are the measurements that make us say this is a non-responder? 
Yeah, so this is a great question, and it's really a fairly contentious and debated question right now. What we're doing is we're talking about the PPI non-responder, and you've asked the key questions right away is, how do you define who a PPI non-responder? Is it somebody who hasn't responded after eight weeks of therapy? Is it somebody who hasn't responded to a once-a-day PPI? Because as you know, proton pump inhibitors are only approved for once-a-day use, Mm -hmm. although many of us use it for twice a day. Or is it somebody who's really failed twice-a-day therapy? I think a lot of us would say that if you have classic symptoms, you really should fail a twice-a-day PPI therapy. If you have symptoms that are kind of soft, these extra-intestinal manifestations, or your pretest probability is low, and you fail the once-a-day PPI trial for eight weeks, then you really should go into diagnostic testing. Is there a point to switch to a different PPI or to augment therapy? You know, it's a very good question, too, because we think about PPIs all in one category. And as a rule, they're all very, very similar. And these are very good drugs at treating reflux esophagitis. But we are accumulating more and more data, learning that some patients who fail one PPI, for whatever reasons, maybe it's a genetic reason that we don't understand yet, respond very well to another PPI. It's very reasonable to ask somebody to switch to another PPI, but also to make sure they're taking it correctly, because one of the big reasons for PPIs not to work in a patient is that they're taking it incorrectly, meaning oftentimes late at night or just not as directed. And with many of them, the juxtaposition to meal time is also important. It absolutely is. So we've kind of forgotten that PPIs really work best on an empty stomach. You need those proton pumps in the acid-secreting cells, the parietal cells, to be stimulated, to be active, to then be inhibited. And so if you take it on an empty stomach and then don't eat, such as somebody who takes it at night before they go to bed, they're about 50% less effective. And it seems a fairly common problem in my practice. By the definition that you have outlined for us, what percentage of GERD patients could we classify as non-responders? Yeah, so I think we use the broad category of somebody who hasn't responded to a PPI trial for about eight weeks using once-a-day PPI. About 30% of patients are categorized as a PPI non-responder. Dr. Lacey, if a patient is found to be refractory by the definitions that you outlined, are there tests that should be done to evaluate the disorder? Absolutely. So I think if somebody has fairly classic reflux symptoms and they failed the empiric therapy with a PPI, to further evaluate those patients, I think in this day and age, the next most logical step would be to perform upper endoscopy. And upper endoscopy these days is so safe and easy and reassuring to both the patients and physicians, and it really helps us distinguish whether or not they've injured their esophagus, whether there's evidence of reflux esophagitis or Barrett's esophagus, or whether they might have something else like ulcer disease that's masquerading as undetected or untreated reflux. If that evaluation does not seem to show some structural issue, are there other things that should be done in the evaluation? Absolutely. So I think the next step to evaluate these patients is once you've reassured them with that upper endoscopy is then to do the best job you can to accurately measure acid reflux. And I think we have a number of different possibilities and therapeutic options available for that now, including either a transnasal 24-hour pH probe or a 48-hour wireless pH capsule or a transnasal impedance pH probe. And all of these Options are available at most academic medical centers and also throughout the community in the United States. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss when PPIs fail, evaluating and managing patients with GERD is Dr. Brian Lacey, Associate Professor of Medicine at Dartmouth Medical School and Director of the GI Motility Laboratory at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Dr. Lacey is an internist. I think of a long probe with a pH paper at the bottom. How is this pH monitoring done? pH monitoring has been around for a good 40 years now, and you're describing the classic 24-hour pH probe. It's a small, thin tube that comes out of your nose, usually goes behind your ear, and you would wear a monitor for about 24 hours. And it's a reasonable test. The problem is, having done this to myself, um, it's not very pleasant. You don't want to eat. You don't want to exercise. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to be seen in public. And what happens is that when patients then don't do their usual daily activities, you get a false negative study. That makes sense. There was a big change about eight years ago when the wireless pH capsule came out. It was originally designed and marketed as a Bravo pH capsule. And the advantage of that, which this capsule is small and it can be placed either at the time of upper endoscopy or directly in the lab, and it attaches directly to the lower part of the esophagus, is that you could then wear a small, basically pager-sized recording device on your belt, and it sends signals back and forth. So you don't have a tube in your nose. You don't have that sensation of being something stuck in your back of the throat. You can exercise. You can eat. You can take a shower. And it also gives you 48 hours of data. So that has really changed the way we monitor acid reflux in both the academic setting and in the outpatient setting in the community. That sounds like a major step forward, both in terms of data and patient comfort and compliance. Absolutely. And they've compared that. So it's important to do things objectively. And they've compared patients who did both. They did the standard conventional transnasal 24-hour pH monitoring to and compared this to the 48-hour wireless capsule monitoring. And what's been consistently shown both here and in Europe is that patients really appreciate the wireless pH capsule more. And we actually get better data because we tend to miss up to 12% of patients who actually have true reflux we capture those people with a 48-hour study compared to the 24-hour study. Very, very interesting. And then after 48 hours, is this capsule then released from the wall of the esophagus and passes through? So generally, you know, as you know, the lining of the GI tract desquamates, and we're always exfoliating those cells. And anywhere from about three to seven days, that capsule will drop off. It'll pass through the GI tract. You'll excrete it one day. You won't even know you've done it because it's so small. And it sounds like you find this helpful in terms of detection of abnormalities. Absolutely. And I think it helps several different groups of people. One group is those patients where they have a low pretest probability for having acid reflux, meaning those patients who have been sent to you because of chronic cough or asthma symptoms or chest pain thought secondary to acid reflux. And when we measure them over 48 hours off of PPI therapy, what we usually find is that their symptoms are not related to acid reflux. And that's very helpful Mm -hmm. because some of those patients in the past were mistakenly sent on to surgery. When you do have a higher likelihood of acid reflux, do you keep them on the PPIs? We do. And so if we have a very high pretest probability and people say, boy, I'm still having persistent symptoms, we now recommend that we study them on the once-a-day PPI and not advance them to the twice-a-day PPI. And that's because a number of different studies from throughout the country have shown that really the vast majority of patients with true acid reflux are well-controlled on a once-daily PPI. And so if you study them on a once-daily PPI and they're in the minority of patients 
who do require twice daily PPI, then you have some wiggle room. You can bump them up. But pretty consistently, we find that that once a day PPI is controlling their acid reflux symptoms. And those other symptoms that they're expressing to you at your office appointment are due to something else. Let's say that we do find that there is acid reflux that is truly recalcitrant to the PPIs. Is there a role for promotility agents, histamine blockers, caraphate, the Neeson fundoplication? Where do we go therapeutically? So I think you have a couple of options. So if somebody had symptoms and you measured them and on a once-a-day PPI, they still had acid reflux, I think the next obvious step would be to increase their dose to a twice-a-day PPI taken 30 to 45 minutes before breakfast and before dinner and to make sure they're taking it appropriately. And then if they have persistent symptoms, oftentimes then we're forced to measure those patients again, either with a repeat wireless pH capsule or most of us would now recommend using impedance pH monitoring over 24 hours to look for both acid and non-acid reflux. And in those patients then, you can consider adding other agents such as a pro-motility agent to accelerate gastric emptying, although we have very little data to support their use, or maybe caraphate for non-acid reflux. Again, unfortunately, very little data to give us really good evidence-based medicine, though. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Brian Lacey from the Dartmouth Medical School for going through with us the approach to patients who appear to have recalcitrant gastroesophageal reflux disorders, not responding to PPIs. He's outlined for us the definitions, or at least working definitions, for what a refractory patient would be, and then the approach to the further workup and further therapy. Thank you again very much, Dr. Lacey, for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is produced in cooperation with the AGA Institute. This educational program is sponsored by Given Imaging, expanding the scope of GI. For more information on the leader in the specialty GI diagnostics market, please visit givenimaging.com. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com and use promo code AGA. More than 19 million people in the U.S. suffer from gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD and experience symptoms at least twice a week. Many of these patients are prescribed PPI therapy, but between 10 and 40% fail to achieve symptom relief. Do they really have acid reflux? Ambulatory pH testing is considered the gold standard for pH measurement and monitoring of gastric reflux, helping physicians evaluate patients for GERD. Given Imaging offers the only catheter-free ambulatory pH monitoring system. The easy-to-use, patient-friendly Bravo pH monitoring system provides clinically valuable results and collects 48 hours of pH data, double the data of conventional catheter-based tests. Because patients can maintain their regular diet and activity levels, the data obtained by Bravo are more reflective of a patient's true physiologic condition. To learn more about Given Imaging's Bravo pH monitoring system and other specialized diagnostic technologies from its newly acquired subsidiary, Sierra Science. Instruments, please visit givenimaging.com and click on the Healthcare Professionals tab.